imagine if you had a superpower where you could make people feel amazing, full of belief, full of confidence, feeling like they're walking on water, ready to win, ready to succeed. Well, today we've got Frank Dick, and he's the man that can do exactly that. Frank's one of the greats. I'm very grateful to have Frank in my life. He's mentored and coached me for over 10 years. And, I mean, he's coached some of the greats. Here's a few. Alex Ferguson, Boris Becker, Daley Thompson. The list goes on. There's just too many. He's an expert in finding positive emotion, telling stories, and helping you win and succeed. Enjoy every single minute. Let's do this. Frank Dick, first question. Why is storytelling so important in business and life? Well, first of all, storytelling um, uh, gets into your emotions, right? It's not, it's, I've often said to people, you've got to do two things in life if you're trying to make, make, get people to move with you. You've got to be able to teach and you've got to be able to sell. Teaching is the understanding part. That's to your head. But you sell to the heart. Once you've lifted the lid of emotions in a, in, a, in a story, people get engaged with it, they remember the story, and make sure you put in your punchline, for what it, what it all means. So let, let, me, let, let me give you an example. One of, one of the things I feel very strongly about at the moment is that people have got to learn to narrow their focus. There's too much out there. I mean, I, I, I ask you to improve your performance. What does that mean? It's really wide. Yeah, it's, it's just really far too wide. Can we narrow it down? Two or three things, and uh, maybe we can talk about trademarks at some point in, in, in all of this. You give, give people something tight to focus on, and they work down that line. So what is narrowing your focus? Well, here, here's a story for you. Babe Ruth, right? he's, uh, in his final season, he's, he's a bit overweight. He's not been making the runs. Um, the, the performances are going down. And he goes to the Wrigley Field, Chicago, uh, to, 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 and he, go, he goes to the mat to, to bat. And the crowd are heckling him. One guy is shouting at him, and he t- turns around at one point and says, Hey! See that piece of green out there? Keep your eye on that, because that's where this ball's going. And the pitcher pitched, bang, straight down the middle, home run. Afterwards, the, pre- the, the, pre- the, the press got a hold of him and say, what were you thinking about there? Were you were you, going, were you trying to show that guy up in the stand exactly what you... No, I wasn't thinking about that. Were you thinking this is your last season and things are not going too well? No, I wasn't thinking that. Oh, what were you thinking about? I was just thinking about hitting the ball. Narrow your focus. Forget what the hassle is round about, yeah? What is it you're supposed to be doing? Muhammad, uh, uh, Ali and uh, Frazier, uh, they're, they're in their, the, 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 the rumble in the jungle, I think it was. Um, it, it was it, in these days, it was uh, 15 rounds, I think it was, and it, get, it get, gets to the end of the 14th. Uh, the, they've been really knocking spots off each other. You know, They're not young boys anymore, and they were hardly standing up. Go back to the corner at the end of the 14th round, and... Ali looks up at his, his uh, Angela Dundee's trainer and says, I've had it. If I go up, stand up there now, he'll kill me. Throw the towel in now. Now, I can only think that Angela Dundee's a brave kind of guy because he gave him a slight slap and he said, and he t- told him, you know, something like, don't be silly. Um, you've got to get up there and fight. Um, at at the, the end of the, 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 the break, the, the bell goes... Stool comes out, Angela Dundee gets out of his chair, Muhammad Ali stands up, and Joe Fraser's corner through the towel in. So sometimes it's just going the distance to, nar- to, to narrow the focus. Yeah. And, you know, the, I mean, look, I love those two stories. Let's go with the last one first. You get so consumed with yourself, what's going on, like in this competition of boxing, the other person was in pain. The other person had had it. And all you can think of is your, the own pain that you're in. And, and, and you're, you're not going to win if you're not going to stand up and fight. Stand up and fight. So re- really simple little messages, if you can put them into a story, people visualise that straight yeah. away, right? They're engaged with the story. And that, that, that's why it's important. And I honestly think that sometimes we give lectures and so on. Um, but actually, within these lectures, within presentations, within a podcast like this, there'll be a couple of little bits that come out as a story that people will remember forever. That's it. Yeah, like that hitting the ball story. 
it's really sort of narrowed it to, down to the basics, hasn't it? It's, it's eliminating distractions. The crowd saying that. I'm angry about him saying that. No, I'm not focused on the piece of grass. I'm focused on hitting the ball. It's focused on the basics. Yep. And sometimes you can go, let's take it a bit further about the basics. Uh, Apologies for being a little technical now. I'm going to move into track and field athletics, and in particular 400 metres. Now, uh, Wade Wade Van Neckerk had come back from Beijing uh, the year before the the Rio Olympics, and he'd had the fourth, I think it was fourth fastest time in history over the distance. So he comes on and I have a meeting, because I was the performance director with South Africa at this point, have a meeting with um, Wade and his coach, Anne Sabota. She's a beautiful woman. If you met her, you'd think you'd met um, uh, Miss Marple. It's a lovely lady, but phew, it's like steel. Anyway, she's co- she, she, we sat down and said, well, what are we going to do next? What's going to happen next year? What do we have to do? Uh, win the gold medal. What does that look like? Uh, uh, world record. I said, I'm not sure about that, Wade. See, I reckon the opposition are thinking that too. They've seen how fast you are now, and they know... It's only going to be a world record that's going to do it. So I don't think that's what we should do. I think we should do something that's impossible. He said, like what? I said, 43 seconds. And the other, we all laughed. And I said, but listen, wait, 43, we know there's a two-second differential between your first two and your second two. All you've got to do is run the first 200 metres in 20.5, the second one 22.5, and hey, we've got 43 seconds. So we still laughed about it. But nothing more was said. But it was into his head and it was into Anse's head. And off they went. When it, this was October. Next April, he comes out and he runs 100 metres. Very seldom run, run 100 metres. And he became the first man in history to run inside 10 for 100, inside 20 for 200, inside 44 for 400. First man in history to do it. He then managed to qualify. He did his qualifying time. But he was every race he was in was not a 400 metres, it was a 200 metres. In fact, he won the, the, the All-African Championships. He won in something like 20.43 or something like that, even though people were breathing down the back of his neck. Now, he's a 19.86 uh, 200-metres guy from the previous year. What's the opposition thinking? They're thinking, he's lost it. He's not running. He, he, can't, he can't run the twos anymore. But what was he doing? He was just practising the basic part of this race. He had to get through 200 metres in, in a controlled 20.5. Now, the lucky bit, if there was a lucky bit in the whole year, was the, was the, the Olympic final. He gets lane eight. And you and I know, a lot of people think, oh, mm-hmm. dreadful, people can spot you. But what better lane to have if you're trying to run a controlled time? First 100 metres, 10.8. Second 100 metres, 9.7. Goes through 200 metres then in 20.5. 10.7 on the top bend, and he comes home in... Um, just under 12. Okay, it was 43.03. It was a world record, and it was touching the impossible. And all that started with one basic, keeping narrow your focus. What do you have to be fast? A lot of 400 metres people emphasise the speed endurance aspect because it's a, it's a serious, painful endurance event at the end of the day. But no point in thinking about that unless you've got the basic unit right. It's like in business, if you don't get your basic unit at, at, at highest quality, don't think about going for quantity. Get the basic bit right, because that's what you build on. Again, narrow your focus. Yeah, well, yeah, just love the story there. I mean, they owned it, didn't they? So you planted the idea with them and you discussed the idea. And then what you said in that story, they went away with this in their heads now yep. to work it out. And you could own it. You, you said it so yourself. You could own it. And, and, and we, I know we had this conversation a few times. I used to get this ownership bit really wrong. Um, I used to say, say to people, look, look, you've got to give ownership to your staff. And then a friend of mine, uh, uh, Chris Moore, got a hold of me and he said, ownership is not for you, you to give, Frank. It's for people to take. And so that's why I emphasise that now. We create processes as leaders and so on for people to take ownership. I do love that word, take. And it's, I've learned a lot from uh, it, listening to interviews of athletes that have won gold medals, Olympics, and um, serious achievements, anyway. And it comes out a lot with confidence, that does. It's really important that I take confidence from that win. So, again, ownership is something that you take. I think confidence is you, 
you take it from something that's happened and put it in and build yourself up. Yeah, I think, and I think confidence, to read, a, lot, a lot of the work you're doing in your podcasts emphasises the quality of leadership and so on. And um, I, I honestly believe that everybody's born with leadership skills. We're all born with them, but not everybody chooses to develop and use them. What, what I call leadership skills? Well, for, first of all, you've got to have a sense of vision. You have, you, you have to be very clear in where you're going. And I, I think the, the real quality leaders um, can, can imagine what excellence is going to be like in the future. They, 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 don't, they don't focus on what excellence is like now and just to be a little bit better than that next year. They try to get a picture. I think it was Duhay, the, the Italian general, who said, victory smiles on those who anticipate the changing character of war not those who wait for it to happen and then try to adapt later. So anticipation is also... Absolutely. And, and, and that, that's part of your, your vision, to be, be create, creative. Um, everybody talks about thinking outside the box and so on. I, I get that. And th- 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 if we're not careful, we can just get wrapped up in it as if it's a cliche. But you have to do it. You've really got to think beyond the edge of things. Um, and by, by beyond the edge, I mean... A lot of people love to be comfortable. Of course, we love to be comfortable um, and, and feel we're in control. Uh, but I, I love Mario Andretti's story about that. That line and that was when he said, "If you feel in control, if you feel if you feel totally in control, you're not going fast enough." And I think that 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 bit of it's on the edge, on the edge, be- stepping beyond yeah. the, beyond beyond the line, and therefore, as they say. Is that scary? It's the courage to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and of, of course it's scary. Of course, but that, I, mean, it's, I think, I think some, some people live on the edge of being scared. They, they, they love it. It's, it's what, I used to coach a lad called Dalton Grant. Uh, Dalton's a fantastic kid. I mean, what, what is he? He's, he's one metre uh, 86 tall, 87 tall. But his his Olymp- um, best high jump is two meters thirty seven, so it's well above his height. Right? Way above. And he could, I mean, he almost gave me heart attacks at times. He'd go, he'd go out there, maybe he jumped. Uh, his best jump for the season might be two two twenty seven. So he goes into a major competition, and he doesn't start till two meters thirty one. <laughs> he doesn't start till then. <laughs> and you think, well, it, it, he he just loved to be scared it, it, it was his key piece of motivation and i think there's a there's a piece of that in a lot of people that they they, they don't look for the easy way you know or or or, or it, it, that i think i think uh, uh, i'm pretty sure he was talk, talking about this when robert frost said uh, two roads di- diverged in a wood and i i took the one less traveled by and that's made all the difference don't go with the crowd and what, what everybody else thinks the right way to go. Why didn't you give yourself a fright? You see that, let, let's just use that almost metaphorical picture that you, we've got there. We've got two roads. Because you, you have to create this in your mind's eye, don't you? Yourself. It's like, I'm, if, if, I, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm self-reflecting now, I've got two choices. You've got to make them up, haven't you? I can carry on doing what I'm doing or, or I can do this, you know, Make the choice. I hear this phrase, make good choices, you know, which is a challenge for us all, you, me, everybody else. Well, and there's a, the other bit about that is make the choices good. Right. Tur- turn them to your advantage. Whatever happens out there, and the world says yeah. that's a crap idea and all, all that sort of stuff, you make it the right choice. You, you, whatever happens out there, you said we got lane eight, and you instantly turned that to optimism. Well, that is a perfect place to be. Of course it is. It is a perfect place, place to be. Just just remember why you're there. Right? You're, not, you're not there to run somebody else's race in life, ever. You're there to run your own. But when you look at it through them, those lens, that is such a powerful viewpoint that creates emotion that it just drowns out any pessimism about being in lane eight at all, doesn't it? Well, let, 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 just to take in your, your, your thought line on this one, let's jump somewhere else into space, right? 
Chris Hadfield's book, um, The Astronaut's Guide to Life on, mm. Life on Earth. I've not read it. Well, it is worth a read for, for this reason. The, the astronaut's training program is designed to assume that it's not going to work, right? Now, that's kind of scary. You're going to leave the yeah. Earth and you're going to arrive at a space station, but you expect things not to be working for you when you get there. And it's, it's kind of a, a derivative of our old ideas. Don't expect life to happen. Make it happen. Make it happen yeah. for you. And the other derivative of that is just what you said, is this optimism, turn it to your advantage. And I, I love that idea of when you go into anything in life, it's like walking into, walking into your arena, right? Is there some kind of um, uh, pr uh, pr predictability out there? Of course there's not. Is there, is there a, an, an iota of certainty when you walk into the arena? Of course there's not. There's only uncertainty. But you know it's your job and you're good at it to turn uncertainty to, to uncertainty to your advantage. So I think all, all of these little ideas are crystallized around your point. Yeah, you see, walk out to your arena. Everybody's got an arena. You don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to be a movie star. You don't have to be a rock star. You don't have to be a famous athlete. Everyone's got an arena. What's your arena? You know, that's what I wrote down there. What's my arena? Walk out there. Okay, well, let's come back to something that you and I do every day. We coach. Yeah. And one of the nuts that you, I know we both crack very frequently is a coach has actually got two jobs when they work with someone. The first is to prepare them for their arena. In my yeah. case, it's a competitive sport or whatever. The second one is through that process to prepare them for life. And I, I think that, unfortunately... Most coaches have got a very clear agenda and itinerary for how they're going to deal with the arena, right? the technical aspects. But there's this, this other bit about preparing for life. We should be building into our coaching messages all the time. These are the values that you will live in your life. This is how you're going to cope with adversity and so on and so on and so on. Um, so, so, so coaching, I, I believe, must focus on the, these two areas. And the only way you can do it is to be sound at you, the technical aspect of what you do. I mean, don't don't ask me to coach a pole vaulter. I don't understand it. I can I, I can explain processes to to the to her, but I can't co co coach her how to pole vault. So there's a, there's a technical side. Know that, and, and and at that point, know what you know, know what you don't know, and know somebody who does, and bring them to the parties <laughs> to compensate for for there's you. There's something there though for top coaches. They are aware of that. And they don't pretend to be something that they're not. And they're not threatened. And I, in my opinion, even in the upper echelons of coaching, being threatened by other coaches exists. But not by the top. Not mm. by the very best. They bring, over, they bring the right brains to the table. I've, I've, I mean, I've done it with you many times. I, yeah, you need to spend a day with Frank. Well, Let's well, bring Frank in. Thanks yeah. for that. The, 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 once you've got the technical bits in place... The bit you're going to be really hot on now is the people bit, right? Understanding people. Um, and, and I know so, so you, you have some great, great podcasts on here where people emphasize the importance of having strong people around them, and that's really, really important. But once you've got them around you, the next, the next big uh, task is, do you know them, right? Do you really know who your people are? Because if you don't, you won't be able to communicate. You will not be able to communicate with them. And once you get in, down, down that road, I think the, the other thing, um, and I, I think we, we, I don't want to go, go through a lengthy list of, of leadership qualities, but one, one of the things, that of, co of course, is knowing your people. And wrapped up in that is something I learned from a, a great sports psychologist, Corinne Reed, uh, in Australia. When she, she, she used this expression, stress signatures. Now, I'd, I'd never heard the expression before. What's a stress signature? But the moment she'd said it, of course, we know what that is, right? We know that for each of us, there's something that lifts you up and there will be other things that can actually pull you down. Yeah. And the things that pull you down are, for the most part in my world, are the things that touch, because we already mentioned emotions, that begin to touch and threaten your emotions. And if those people who cannot cope and manage that threat to their emotions these are the people who begin to lose ground. 
And what we've got to do is be, be strong. It's not just important for me, if I'm working with you, it's not just important for me to know my stress signature. I'd like to know yours. Because I'll, I'll, I'll be able to spot when, you're, when your head, head drops that little bit and step, step in. And I know you so well, I'll know the kind of things that have been upsetting you right now. And pull you back on track so that you're in control of your emotions. That, that the, 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 the emotional bit, I think, um, I don't want to... to labour this point, but the, the emotional bit is something that I, I really think we don't pay an awful lot of attention to. For, for example, when you're training somebody, you train them physically, you train them mentally, but you also train them emotionally to handle what's going on out there. On the other side of that, when people are exhausted and under pressure and so on, do you know how to get them back on their feet physically? Most of us do. Mentally, good night's sleep. Emotionally? Emotionally? How many of us are really, really understand, and I'm not pretending I do, really understand how, emotion, how emotional fatigue or emotional investment can lead to serious emotional fatigue and actually knock the other two out of the park, physical and mental, it pulls you right down. I think, I think awareness, you know, you look at emotional intelligence as a, as a concept, as, you know, we cannot, it's a skill, yeah? It's things that pe people can develop, some people are... Uh, quite intuitively good at that. Other people have to develop it. But one one of the core components of emotional intelligence is awareness. Yes. Second part is regulation, how you manage your emotions and how you can see other people managing theirs or help other people manage theirs. So that that's I think your top coaches do they do check in. Yeah. How are you feeling right now? What's going on? And the coaches themselves have to check in. Oh, yeah. Ooh, let's talk that. Because yeah. yeah. the, the, they, they can neglect themselves, yeah? It's common. Yeah. We're, we're so, so busy. Who helps, the, who helps the person who helps everybody else? Yeah. You've got, you got to find somebody to help you. You've you really got to find, a, I don't know whether you want to call them a mentor or a coach or whatever. You, you need somebody. Well, I found you a long time ago, and you're one of them people for me. Well, appreciate that. And oddly enough... Um, you are such a, a calm person under pressure. Um, I, I feed off that when I, when I watch you in action. So maybe w one of the interesting things about... Let's talk about calmness and the impact on performance. You look at a Lionel Messi. Mm -hmm. I mean, that little last... The last moment, that ultimate calmness, when you're executing to perfection anything that's technical or your skills, I mean... It, but this happens in business as well. Mm. And, you know, people listening to this, they want to develop themselves. I mean, we're talking calmness here. Everybody can develop that. And it just, is it one of the things that you learn last, calmness? Mm. Or, because the sooner you get it, the better it is, yeah? I mean, Lionel Messi, young age, composed under that amount of pressure, being calm when it, when it matters most. How do you develop it? For, for, for Lionel Messi, of course, all he's looking for is a moment. In, 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 in the 90 minutes of the game, he's only looking for the moment. Can, can, you, can you get dismiss the frustrations and know that your moment is going to come? So now we're back to anticipation, what you were yep. saying earlier on. And being ready. Yep. I'm ready for it. Yep. Give me a moment. So maybe, I've not heard that before, actually, whilst I'm speaking about calmness, but being ready for your moment, anticipating your moment. Are you, are you ready now if it happens? It's going because what happens when you're not ready, it can cause moments really that for you to be a stress response. That, that, that's, that's why, and, and I know this will sound really extreme, but you've got to respect every moment you've got when you're working in your arena. You've got to respect every moment. You don't know which one of these is going to be the turning point. You might know afterwards, but you don't know in advance. But as you say, you've got to be ready for it. And you can't be in life, it's like being a slip fielder uh, or, or an, an opening bat. You can't be 100% focused 100% of the time. You've got to take yourself down and take yourself up again. And there are skills that go with that. If you ask some of the cricket guys, there are the skills that people learn, how they breathe, what they focus on and so on. Let me give you an example. Uh, I was working with Boris Becker and I thought I was being really clever one day when I said... You know, I, I think it's, it's good that you guys, are, you're so professional when, when you're out there, you take time to make sure that the, 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 the strings are realigned on your, on your racket. 
And he said, no, Frank, that's not why we do that. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, we're focusing on a point. We want to get rid of what's just happened and focus on the point, bring us into the, into the now, and then deal with the next one. And I think a lot, a lot of us need something like that. I think the, the psychologists, I think they call it grounding. Is that, is that, yeah. Is that, is, that, is that right? But there, there are other simple little... It's a little simple routine, yeah, isn't it? There are, other, there are other techniques that... Um, that all of us could do any at any point in, in the day when we feel under a bit of pressure. Um, and, and I'll tell you a story about this. Uh, the Vancouver Olympic Games, um, Canada had just come from a very bad previous Winter Olympics, and it's now a home, home, home Winter Olympics. And you know what Canada's like. Winter Olympics is what they live for, ice hockey, the, the snow and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so they're really looking forward to it. And you could say... Well, home, home advantage, what a great thing, bringing it home. But that brings its pressures, if you're not careful. The press are onto you, the, that, that, that's going. And they were very worried because a lot of the, uh, the athletes were having an anxiety attacks. And so they started to spend an awful lot of money, um, buying neurofeedback, all sorts of stuff, on how you could control this and learn to control yeah. it. But at the end of the day, it was take six deep breaths. Slow, deep breaths. And if you watch what's happening in rugby at the moment, when the, for example, when the French team have a break and they're standing in a little circle, watch what they do. A couple of times over, just to get them back down. And it's so simple. It's, it's, it's like the, the story about uh, the, the, the other story about the, the astronauts when they, uh, they were looking for a, a way to stop the ink running out of the ballpoint pens and stuff. And they spent thousands and thousands of pounds on it, but the Russians used pencils. You know, don't 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 let's look all over the place for something yeah, yeah. that's actually quite simple. And, and maybe again, this comes back to narrowing the focus. I, I, look, I like a couple of things that you've said in there. One in particular is space to think and breathe. So, yeah. when it, I mean, I've got a seven-year-old little boy. You know, he's got to go and take a penalty on Sunday for his football. You know, the same, his mentor would say the same as, I don't know, Richard Branson going into his big meeting with all of his boards to take the next spaceship into outer space or build the intergalactic, intergalactic space station, whatever he's doing. Just take your time. Just go when you're ready. And coming back to the, the, the idea of I think you're almost describing it as stepping back. I think um, tackling problems and big issues in life um, are a bit like appreciating and understanding a painting. You know, go on. If you get really close to it, to the detail, without seeing the the, the, the picture, um, you'll get you'll get it's, it's it's a meaningless ploy. Stand back, see the whole picture, and see the bits that are out of place. In my simple mind, See, that's what they do in sport. I mean, in, in sports coaching, they've got a principle that I mean, I've been through all of the the qualification. You've done the same. I mean, this is taking you back probably four or five decades. Um, whole part, whole coaching. Teach the whole thing so you get this, break it down into parts, and then put the whole thing back together again. You, you can see, and I, I can't remember if I told you the story before about um, uh, this Bondarchuk who's a world record holder in Hammer, Olympic champion, and he coached world record holders and, and, and Olympic champions. Um, he came to Edinburgh to do a session uh, at a coaches' conference, and uh, he'd, he'd lectured on Hammer, and we were going to do a practical session. Went down to Meadowbank Sports Centre. The crowd, it was, it was a snowy day. Um, the crowd, the, 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 the audience had sort of packed themselves around the circle, um, and, and a guy called Chris Black, he'd swept the circle clean. And, but Bondarchuk was standing about 30 metres away. And I, 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 through Ludmilla, his interpreter, I said, uh, well, p- please please ask Anatoly to come up. I'll get rid of these people, make, make them move to the other side of the circle. She, she said, no, no, through him, translated for him, no, if you get too close, you can't see anything. When you step back, you will see wh- wh- where the technique is fractured. And the moment you do that, in my world, you start at the feet and work out. You see, I like the the little analogies and stories that we're putting on that because it's not one or the other, it's both, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
at some point you've got to get into depth and detail. Yep. And over, but you've got to see the whole thing as well. Absolutely. I don't, I don't want people to think I'm contradicting myself with narrow the focus. Yeah. But, but it's, I'll tell you what it's like. It's having the ability, and I think great leaders, not just coaches, leaders have got to be really good at this. You've got to be able to see the game as it were, as if you're standing in the stands and you see the whole thing. But you've got to understand the game as if you're on the field. Right? So you've got to have something like a, a tunnel vision and a funnel vision. Right? You start off with a funnel vision up at the top, and then you've got your go tunnel vision when you go to the detail. It's got a nice ring to it, that. Tunnel and funnel vision. All right, let's go trademarks. We said this earlier on. Let's go trademarks. Where do we start? Okay, the the, the, the idea of tra- trademarks I heard for the first time um, from uh, Neil Craig, who is a performance director across in Australia. He was working with Eddie Jones with the England rugby team. And he th- th- we had this idea. Remember what I said? Perf- if I ask you to improve your performance, what does that mean, Frankie? Okay, tell me something. What What to you... It's your trademark. What do you bring to your business that nobody else can? Three things maximum, right? And it could be a technical thing, carry ball yeah. carrying rugby or whatever. It could be um, uh, a communications thing. Yeah. I, I'm a good listener. I don't get what it is. Can you define them for me? Because this is your strengths. Bearing in mind, a little, a little uh, sidebar here, bearing in mind that as a coach, I believe your first priority is to coach somebody's strengths. That's well, number let's one. Let's do it to the listeners right now. I mean, everybody consider what what's your trademark? What yeah. are your two or three things? Yeah. That yeah. Take well, please just take a moment. Just think about it. What are your trademarks? Write them down. You know. But I want you to be sure these are your strengths. This is what you are going to bring to your team. Then every week. I'd like us to take a bit of time to score ourselves out of seven. Don't ask me why seven is quite arbitrary, but I love seven. Seven maximum, world class. One, you're just getting in, you're just getting into the game. I tried this uh, with uh, a friend of mine, Ronnie Irani, uh, who who's works very closely with Steve Smith, who runs uh, Bishop Stortford Soccer Club. Uh, they were in the Isthmian League which is uh, part-time f- footballers. Okay, it's not a premiership. It's down there, partly amateur, partly, fo- par- partly pro. Um, and R- Ronnie said to me, last year, uh, they got to the playoffs, but they didn't qualify, having been at the top for a, couple of, for a few weeks. He said, what, we, what, what do you think we should do with them, Frankie? And so there was 10 weeks to go. And I said, and I explained the story to them. So he took that back to them, and it almost became a cult. Like, you know, guys will come up after training or whatever and say, oh, I gave that a serious six. And one of the other players said, no, 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 you're lucky if that was a three, mate. And they would have these discussions. So people got involved in each other's trademarks, which was good. You owned your mm. own, but you were, you're also looking around at other, other people's because they wrote them up. Right? They had this discussion every week. Ten games out of ten promoted. Right? So I, I, I from know plenty of strengths from believing it, yeah. from assessing it, from sharing it. Yeah. And then from a coaching point of view, again, to, to, just, just to come back to that sidebar, I believe your first priority as a coach is to coach these trademarks, to coach people's strengths. The only time you should really look at weaknesses is, first of all, if the weakness is interfering with that strength, or secondly, pretty importantly, if it's, importing, if it's interfering with the strengths of other people in the team. Yeah, amazing stuff, isn't it? I've watched you do that with a group of people. I've watched you, you know, got them to self-reflect. Come on then, what's your trademark? What's your score? How are you going to get one point more? Grade it every week. Um, PBs, tell us the Mr. Dick story. Oh, well, um, I'd, I'd gone to see uh, at, uh, the Scottish Youth and Junior Championships at Scotland and Glasgow. And a, t- t- a TV crew were there, and out of nowhere, somebody came and said, Frank, would you like to come and do a quick, uh, quick few minutes to talk about it? Yeah, so sure. Came around. And out of nowhere, the guy asked me a question, what's winning? And I was totally unprepared for it, so I had to make up this story in, on the spur of the moment. So I said, you, you know, a uh, hundred years ago, when I was a Scottish national coach, I used to go around the tracks of Scotland, um, 
uh, trying to work with coaches to help them be better, 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 better at their jobs. Uh, and out of nowhere, a little voice came in. Mr. Dick, Mr. Dick. Yes. Will you coach me? Um, <laughs> not at the moment because I'm coaching these people across here. Will you coach me later? Well, yes, fine. When's that? Look, go and sit in the stand. Keep yourself warm. When I finish coaching these people, I'll come and work with you. Promise? Yes. See you. Fine. So after I finished working with the coaches, I work with her. She's, uh, she's eight years of age and she wants to run 100 metres. Right? So I work with her for a few weeks. And she, I tell her, she was 10 years of age. She, she wants to run 100 metres. Um, and I work with her. She goes to her first race. She run, line, run, lines up with another seven kids. On your marks. Sit. <laughs> Runs down the track. Hurls herself at the line. Eight out of eight in um, 18 seconds. She came running back to me and said, Mr. Dick, I was last. And I said, no, you weren't last. Yes, I was. You said, no, you weren't last. You were 18 seconds. What do you mean? Well, I had you down for 20 seconds and you've, you've smashed the 20-second barrier. Do you know what this means? No. It means it's your lifetime best performance. Really? Yes. It's your own personal world record. Really? Yes. In a few weeks' time, she's got another race to run. What does she think winning is now? Right. She's got to be 18 seconds. She'll run 17.9. She'll grab, grab a flag and run around the track. Right? Because that, that's what winning is in life. Winning is being better today than you were yesterday. Every day. Right? It, that's something. Right? That's what winning is. So she, so, so she, goes, she, she goes, goes for the... the she, she runs in this race... Uh, she, she finishes seventh, she runs 17.9 seconds, and she keeps doing that time after time as, as, she, as she progresses. And, and if you do that, one day you'll be a one and only, right? Um, and what is, what is being a one and only? Being a one and only is simply being the best person that you can be in life. Don't compare yourself to other people, right? Because you're not them. We also have heroes in life, but the idea is not to imitate heroes. The, other, the, the idea is for us to be inspired by what they're doing so that we grow in our own way. Right? The bottom line again is winning is being better today than you were yesterday, every day. It's, it was such a beautiful story, isn't it? And the opportunities, you know, outside of sport, because it's classically associated with sport as a PB. I've implemented this in businesses through our coaches with thousands of businesses across the UK. You know, you're, you've got your own benchmarks. You can do it on sales, you can do it on marketing, you can do it on people watching your podcasts. The opportunities to assess yourself and benchmark yourself for your own performance are just far and wide for everyone. And I think that, that said, I think we've, we've each got to have our own inbuilt um, per personal review or personal debriefing and things. Um, I, I, you'll have your own. I mean, the, the, one, the one that I work on all the time is four R's. The first R is um, reason. Why am I doing this? You know, what's the purpose of what we're doing today? Second R is reality. Who's involved? What's to be done and how are they going to do it? The third R is reflection or review. What did I learn from this experience? And the fourth one is response. What are you going to do about it? What can you do better or differently? And... To be quite honest, James, an awful lot of people get to the learning part and they, they walk away saying, this is what I learned today, but the, the job's only half done at this point. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with what you've learned? I think that's, you know, especially in the reflection piece, I mean, just giving yourself time to think. Maybe even make notes. Take it out of your head. Round. I, I, I like that phrase, if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. You know, when, when I start writing it down, I'm really starting to write it into existence. But then when I share it with you later on, my chance of taking action on it and persisting against it is much, much higher. And I think, think with, with the review, and, uh, you, you know, in, in the military, they talk about hot and cold debriefs. Mm. Right? And I certainly have brought that into working with athletes and so on and, and, and business. The hot debrief is just after you've finished the, the the podcast or the meeting yeah. or, 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 or the, the sales pitch or whatever, um, or you've just come off the field, the heart's pounding like this, sweat's on the forehead, you're out of breath, and I, I want to know how you feel. Um, 
a lot of people will criticize me for this and say, oh, they're too emotionally involved in things. But that's what I want. I want to know the reality of this situation because I can probably coach that. I want to know how they were feeling out there. I don't want some cosmetic sort of version yeah. that somebody's worked out. What, what will Frank like, to, like me to say here? So you get the hot debrief in for, to Tell you who's good at well, world record holders in this, the Red Arrows. When they land from, from even a practice session, they're already debriefing when they're in the, in, the, in, the, in the planes before they go to park them, if that's, if that's what you do with airplanes. They, they're still talking, number one, I did this. I, I noticed number five did X, did X. Number three would chip in and say, yeah, I had the same problem last time we did this, and this is what I did. So they're, they're already debriefing before they get out of the planes. Then later, when you've got all the metrics and got all the... the, the, yeah. the then, then you go again. Do, then you do your call debrief. But there's lessons to be learned in both. Yes, there is. I love that. You can build that into your planning, actually. I hope so. You know, uh, you know, the, you come out of a sales meeting, you give yourself five minutes, and you know, do a do a debrief or phone someone up and talk them through it. Well, let's come back to the the, the planning bit because I, I I see all these bits as a continuum of learning. Um, okay, not everybody loves me saying this, but I said, what happens in the field is all down to your preparation. No, it's not. It's what happens. No, no, no. If it's gone wrong in the field, the preparation wasn't right. Let's get that right. Now, if, because preparation is so important then... It's irrefutable what you've said there. I've just you know, worked it all out. What, because preparation is so important, I believe you've got to be really forensic in testing it. You've really got to push back at it. Ask yourself questions about what could go wrong. For example, the, 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 the classics on this are what they call red teaming, imagining what yeah. the other opposition might do to us with the plan that we've got. Um, and and, and you, you could, if, if you're in a pitch, will people be sort of pushing questions back at you? But the other, the other one uh, is called pre-mortems. Now, the, the pre-mortem idea came out of the US SEALs when they were going for bin Laden. And what they did, the first time, as far as I'm aware, it was, it was ever used, they imagined things that could go seriously wrong, not what the opposition are doing, things that could go seriously wrong in going in for it. And you'll remember one thing yeah, that yeah. went wrong, the helicopter went yeah, down. down yeah. That had been one of the things. that, had, And so when it did, nobody was phased because we were already into this, we knew what to do. And I, I honestly think... Make sure that we get these debriefings right and we do something with them. Not just learning, do something with them. But in advance, make sure you test your preparation. The worst thing to do is to sit around a table and you've come with a plan and you, somebody pushes back at you because we should all do that with each other. Push back a little bit. Are you sure about that? Why are we doing that? Mm. If you don't have an answer to that, then we're all in a bit of trouble. We've got to have really thought the thing through. It's really cool, Frank. I've got some quick questions for you here. What's your favourite book that you've ever read? Um, well, probably it doesn't sound very profoundist, but one of the first books that really changed me was uh, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Why? Well, there's one of the lines in... It's a poem, and there's one of the lines in it that I found very precious on a number of levels. The prophet's leaving the land, and the, 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 the people of the land are asking him questions um, uh, because they know they're never going to see him again. And one of the questions, what, what's love, what's joy, what's sorrow, what's death? And one of the questions was, what of parents and their children? And um, I'll paraphrase it. He said, the parent is to the bow as the child is to the arrow. It's our job as parents and as coaches to give people power, give them direction, but we're supposed to let them go. And unfortunately, that's the most difficult thing in life to do. I'll, I'll give, give you a story about that, because I'm very good at giving advice, as you know, James, but not very good at accepting it myself. Um, my next door, our next door neighbour at one point, there was a Bar Barry and Linda Dicker, and they, they had a, a daughter, Zoe, uh, and Zoe was going to study veterinary science up in uh, Glasgow. We were living in London. And I came home one night and Linda says to me, asked me this question. I've never been able to answer properly because I get asked this question very often. You'll never guess what Linda next door said today. <laughs> and, uh, 
no, you got me there, darling. Said, well, you know they were taking Zoe up to university? I said, yeah. Well, Barry cried all the way home in the car. I said, well, what a big soft toy he's turned out to be. <laughs> I thought he was a tough guy. Huh? Well, two years later, I'm stood in the car park at St Andrews University saying goodbye to my elder daughter, Erin, as she went into university. And there must have been a grain of sand that blew itself from the beach and lodged itself in my eye, but I felt distinctly uncomfortable. I said to Linda and Cara, my younger daughter, please uh, sit in the car. I'm going to say goodbye. I'm going to sit in the car. And I sat there and I thought, what's wrong with you? Is it, is it that you, don't, you haven't given her enough smarts to deal with the hurly-burly of university? You've spent so much time looking after everybody else's kids. And then it dawned on me. It wasn't that I hadn't prepared her. I hadn't prepared me. Because the job is to let go. And it's tough. We all know that as parents. And actually, quite a few coaches find that tough too. Yeah, well, maybe we should do another session with you on, let, on how to let go. And All right, we've got some more questions for you. What's your favourite movie? Um, pay It Forward. Uh, what a principle that is, you know. Ke- 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 Kevin, Kevin Spacey. The, the, idea, the, the story's built around uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson's um, lines. I can't remember what essay he was in where he said, uh, beware of holding too much goodness in your hands too long. You must pay it away, cent for cent, ounce for ounce, but for the most part you can't do it completely. And what what we're getting at is people give us things in life, your mum and dad to you, my mum and dad to me, our coaches, our friends and so on. But the truth is you can never pay them back. So all you can do is what they did, you pay it forward. And that particular movie is about... Um, think of three, three, yeah, three people. Three, yeah. It's nice when it multiplies like that, isn't it? You know, the biggest gift in life is to give. Yeah. And I, I kind of linked that that, that movie as, as if it was a trilogy with another two: Dead Poets Society and uh, Goodwill Hunting. Well, Ron Williams is in both, yeah. Yeah, nice, but ni- nice bits of. Cool. And what's your favourite music? Well, I love Whitney Houston. Um, I, I love Celine. You Dion. know what? I've even seen you sing Whitney Houston. Well, I saw Whitney Houston up at, at um, Wembley. She was across uh, yeah. a long time ago. Love them, love them both. But um, for, for for doing work, the best thing I can do to myself is switch on. Um, it doesn't it sounds like straight, straight off the counter stuff. But I've got a, an album that's a hun- Mozart's hundred greatest hits or something. It's called something like that. But Mo- Mozart is. Definitely the best music to do work to. To do work Thinking work, yeah. Thinking work. And if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Um, Fly. I'd just like to fly. And that that kind of relates to... um, Superman or Iron Man? uh, Or Superman. Superman, all the way. Uh, Favourite holiday destination? Um... Well, for, for years we went to a place called Stengelwirt near Kitzbühel in Austria, mm. uh, which is which was fantastic. Skiing or in the summer? Well, it, it was skiing, but I'm, I, I don't do the sexy downhill stuff. I leave that to the to Linda and the girls. I, I do the cross country, nice flat stuff. Uh, the the although, endurance although, stuff. Although Linda has accused me of road rage when I've been on flat skis. Ah, right. Okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, are you an early bird or night owl? Um, both. Both. But I have to say, if I've got a piece of work to do, five o'clock in the morning, and I get so much work done between then and eight o'clock that you, yeah, you, you wouldn't do for the rest of the day. If you could have one day in someone else's life, who would you choose? Abraham Lincoln, I think. Is there a, is there a particular day that's standing out? Well, I, I just I just loved the fact that he could produce speeches. Uh, I don't know where, where um, the, the Gettysburg speech, which I thought was was fantastic. Uh, I love the fact that he just went straight there, Abraham Lincoln, because he produces speeches, and that's what you do. So it's relatable. Um, who have been the three biggest trusted advisors in your life that you've had? Hmm. Jeff, the, the late Jeff Gowan, who was my coach at Loughborough. Was, uh, what did you get from Jeff? Oh, ju- just, he really understood track and field, and he really understood the technical Technicals. side. Yeah. Um, 
and, and there was also a guy called uh, Loughborough called Baz Stamatakis, uh, who was uh, Greek, Stamatakis. Um, and for, for his short, sharp bits of wisdom and for reading people. I mean, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd absented myself from college in my very first term, um, and I arrived back late, and I went to apologise to him. I said, Mr. Dick, I knew you'd be late. What did he say? I knew you would be late. <laughs> so, I didn't... I, 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 and the I third did, person? Um, that's probably Bill Bauman in in University of Oregon. I don't, don't, don't know if you know Bill, but he... The, the, the thing most people remember him for is that not not just not as a track and field coach, but they'll remember him as working uh, with Phil Knight and creating Nike. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? That, that new um, movie, documentary on Nike, is unbelievable. Well, I, well. I, I tell you what, this is a, this is something a lot of people out there really should pay attention to. They had this very simple idea. He knew how to make a particular kind of shoe. It was better for athletes running on roads. Phil Knight had said that could be a business. So they put together a little business plan and they went around the houses of Eugene getting $100 from each house to set up the business. And that, that started the whole thing. Wow. And out of, yeah, from, d- dream, from investors. Yeah. If you go to dream, dream big. Yeah, if you're dream, dream big. big. What do you think the first thing that people could do after listening to this podcast, what do you think the first thing could or should be? Well, first of all, I'd like them to make sure that they've, if, if they if they haven't done it already, let's check out the trade tra- let's check out the trademarks, and let's start to live these things, and start to live these things. Nice, powerful. You know, my favorite my favorite bit today is. It's how you just constantly told stories in between. I just enjoy being in your presence, Frank. What's been your favourite part today? Sitting down, having a chat. I mean, it's, it's, it's not often you get a chance to talk freely about things that you really believe in in life. You know? And that in itself is a joy. It's, it's, it's great. Um, and you, you and I both know we always enjoy having a conversation yeah. uh, because... Um, even with you asking the questions, I end up trying to find out what's behind your yeah, question. Yeah. It's a, it takes two to tango. Yeah, it's a learning absolutely, process absolutely. for everybody. And and the, 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 the other thing is that there's a bit of teach, teaching wrapped up in this, isn't there? And I, I love that that Chinese philosophy to teach us to learn twice. It's, you see, it never stops. He never stops with these inspirational things. To teach is to learn twice. So look, on behalf of everybody listening to this podcast right now, thank you very much, Mr. Dick. Thank you. <laughs> All right. There we go.